0: Thank you so much, Pam, and I want to thank Bishop Brennan for his invitation to uh, come back to Ohio. So what's that Ohio thing that you guys do here? That's it. But I, I didn't hear it, though. You got to do better than that. That was pretty lousy, actually. What is it again? That's a little better. So it's great to be back in the Buckeye State. I left... Um, About a year and a half ago, I left uh, Cleveland to go back to Philadelphia, which was uh, really where I kind of started. That's where I was ordained a priest. So to my surprise, I was, uh, to my surprise, 12 years, uh, nine years ago, uh, I was asked to leave Philadelphia and join the Diocese of Rockville Center and and met Bishop Brennan. Have you gotten accustomed to his Long Island uh, accent? It's not heart, you know, it's hot. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, eight years later, I was asked to go now back. So my last um, eight years has been a lot of movement. Uh, Since I became a bishop, this is now my third rodeo. And hopefully my last one there. So I'm very happy to be back in Ohio. I've been visiting friends in Cleveland, actually, for the last couple of days, and will do so when I return this afternoon. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And and certainly the blessed sacrament is the ultimate sign of that presence that has traveled throughout time. When I went to uh, Philadelphia at my press conference, someone, uh, a reporter, asked me if I was going to change a lot of things. And my response was, well change is part of life, right? Change change is actually part of life. I said, I'm not going to change things. Situations are going to change things. I, I, I don't get to change it. Situations change, and therefore I have to respond to that. I said to them, you and I have been in constant change. We've never really been the same. Every day we're a little bit different. Circumstances in our lives change and 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 then we respond to those changes. We adapt. We adapt. We've never remained the same even though we'd like to remain the same. I said to them that day that that I was 32 inch waist for an hour in my life. And then things changed. So change is change, not that we create that change, actually. is that oftentimes what we're called to do is to respond to that change. There's one thing that has not changed, though, in now over 2,000 years of Christianity. Everything else has changed. Places, churches, people, popes bishops, priests. I hate to tell you that, if you don't know this already, in a hundred years, none of us who are in this room will be here. Just let you know, right? None of us. When that will happen, (laughs) it's not for me to say. But I do know that, that in a hundred years, which isn't a lot of time, actually, None of us who are here right now will be here except one, and that's the Lord. His abiding presence has always been here. Abiding, walking with the church from this very moment of inception. Fulfilling that promise that he made, part of his last words on the planet. I will be with you always." Everything else has changed. People have come and gone, popes have come and gone. People 150 years ago, 500 years ago, you know, lost sleep over all sorts of things, now it doesn't matter. That came and went. But the one that has been present is the one that's present here with us today. John Paul II, St. John Paul II, wrote a beautiful document, a beautiful work on the Eucharist. And most of my reflection will be his thoughts and what was in his heart. He wrote it in 2003. It was called Church of the Eucharist, Ecclesia de Eucharistia. And he said incredible stuff about the Eucharist, centering the church, where the church needs to be centered. He says that the church draws her life from the Eucharist. Draws her life. He said that this truth does not simply express a daily experience of faith, he says, but that the Eucharist is the heart of the mystery of the church. The very heart. In many ways, the church experiences the fulfillment of the promise. I will be with you always. But the Eucharist, through the changing of bread and wine into the body and blood of the Lord, rejoices that this mystery is ever-present and accompanying us. So even from the, ever some, from the moment of Pentecost, what has the church done? What have Christians done more than anything else? More than anything else. We do lots of things. But more than anything else, we come together to celebrate the presence of the Lord in the Eucharist as we are doing today. The church teaches us that, yes, the, uh, the Eucharist is the source and summit of Christian life. Real presence. Half of your theme today, right? Real presence. Not a symbol. Not something that represents. That's not what we believe. Some of our uh, Protestant brothers and sisters believe a little differently. For them, uh, it might be a symbol, not the real real presence. For some, they believe that the Lord is kind of present in the sacred species only for a while while they 're kind of together, and then that 's it. So I was present at a at a at a celebration uh, where after you know, the hosts come in plastic bags. And then they're taken out and put in sacred vessels because those hosts are about to become the very real presence of Christ. But this particular Christian communion didn't kind of believe that. So at the end, all the hosts that were left, they just went back into plastic bags. But that is not what we believe. That is now who we are. That is not what Jesus said. And that is not the truth that has been handed on for over 2,000 years. That is not what we just celebrated here. What we celebrated here was that Christ has become present in our midst, in body and blood, soul, and divinity. The same Christ that walked the planet, that, that walked... The shores of Galilee and the streets of, of Jerusalem is there. Right there. And he's been walking ever since. We have come and gone. But he's been walking ever since. The source and the summit. And you and I are here because we, we've had an experience of, of him. there's a story of uh, these uh, two, three guys that were at a wake and uh, one of their friends had died and, and, and so they're viewing the body they're kind of standing in line and as they're standing in line one of them says to the other two you know when, when you're in there looking all sorts of pretty what do you want people to say about you? as they're approaching you being laid out so serenely in your casket? What do you want people to say about you? Well, one guy who was a doctor said, well, I'd like them to say that, that, um, that I was a good and compassionate doctor and a healer. The other guy said, uh, who was a teacher, he said, well, I, I hope that my students saw in me great wisdom and that they remembered what I tried to share with them and that I was kind to them. And then they asked the guy who asked the question, and said, well, what, what do you want people to say about you? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, if, if I'm laying there and all these people are coming up and they're looking at me, I would like them to say, look, he moved. (laughs) But isn't that what happened? Isn't that what happened? What happened to our Lord is that he moved. He moved. Sometimes we forget that a little bit, you know? And we turn Christianity into a type of ethic of life. That to be a Christian is to be kind and generous and forgiving and compassionate and patient and all the nice words in our languages. But that's not really what it means to be a Christian, actually. You really don't need to be a Christian to be kind and compassionate and and generous and forgiving. There, There might be people who do that better than we do. Sometimes we haven't been the best at that. But that's not at the core and at the heart of being a Christian. At the core and the heart of being a Christian is that we believe that he moved. That he moved. That he that He rose from the dead. I did a talk at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland. There a bunch of doctors and medical professionals. At the end there was a A question answer thing and uh, this doctor stands up and and he says I need to ask you a question Uh, do you have hope do you have hope and I said doctor I gave my life to a faith that believes that a dead man came back to life I have hope (laughs) I have hope And that, and that dead man who came back to life promised that he would remain with us and would not leave until that was so. And that same Lord is here with us today. The church celebrates the Eucharist as the mystery, very mystery of our faith. We just celebrate it. It's what we do more than anything else, right? We go to Mass. Masses are celebrated in our churches, sometimes multiple times in a day. When I was a pastor, we had mass three times a day, 6 30, 8 and 5 every day. And add to that a funeral or two, that was five. And that was like on a Wednesday. Sundays, there were seven. Easter Sunday, there were twelve. We were Jesus was running into himself. <laughs> this celebration is the sacrament of the mystery of the paschal mystery of his dying and his rising which stands at the center of our life as church. What did the apostles do from the beginning? Well, they devoted themselves acts of the apostles says it, right? They devoted themselves Not to CYO, not to sodalities, not to casino trips. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, the apostolic teaching, fellowship and community, the breaking of the bread, and prayer. That's what they did. And that's what we do more than anything else. We do all the other stuff too. Bishop Brennan's going to a hog roast or something, a pig roast, tonight at 6. So he ate at this table this morning, he will be eating at another table this evening. But this was the most important of them all. 2,000 years later, we continue to do the same thing celebrate the real presence of Christ. Not a symbolic presence, not a representation. We believe that he is in our midst that we are spiritually brought back to the Paschal Mystery. We're brought right back to Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Saturday and Easter Sunday, every time we come around that altar. John Paul II says the Eucharist as Christ-saving presence in the community of the faithful is its spiritual food. It's spiritual food. As I was uh, driving down um, or driving up from Cleveland on 71, um, I had great excitement to be here and celebrate the real presence and also have White Castles, which I did. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with those things, you know, in North Jersey. We didn't call them White Castles, we called them Murder Burgers. But they were the best, and they are the best. The church has received the Eucharist from Christ, John Paul II says, not as a gift, however precious among so many others, but as the gift, the gift. For it is the gift of himself, of his person in his sacred humanity as well as the gift of his saving work. But he says that that this presence, it's not confined to the past, though. Not confined to that moment, that Easter moment, that sacred triton that he went through. All that Christ is, all that he did, all that he suffered for us, transcends time, transcends time in such an incredible way that we have just participated of what took place in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And in doing so, the work of our redemption is carried out, he says. The work of our redemption is carried out. And it's good to, to stop for a moment and reflect on that because, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And so when we do something all the time, um, it kind of loses its luster. Becomes the extraordinary becomes ordinary. When we have something too accessible and too plentiful, uh, it tends to lose a little significance. So it is good it is good to step back and revisit what real presence is for us. John Paul II says that this sacrifice This Eucharistic sacrifice, this real presence, is so decisive for the salvation of the human race that Jesus offered it and returned to the Father only after he had left us a means of sharing in it as if as if we had been present there. I love that quote from John Paul II. The sacrifice is so decisive for the salvation of the human race that Jesus Christ offered it and returned to the Father only after he had left us a means of sharing in it as if we had been present there. Real presence. His presence before us and our presence before him. It lies at the center as of who we are as church, as what you are as the Church of Columbus. Right at the center. It is the reason you exist to celebrate Christ's presence, an evangelizing presence. And an evangelizing initiative that doesn't end up at the foot of the altar is lacking. Is lacking. And this faith has been handed on to us as a gift. It hasn't changed. Everything else has changed. but the Eucharist has been the constant. If you've ever been to um, places like the Holy Land, it's very interesting because you visit this like kind of new church that was built on the ruins of four others. And they could tell from which era they're from. And they tell you, this was from like the Byzantine era in the fourth century, and this was that one. And, 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 and they could tell that this church that now you sit there and watch and experience and enjoy is sitting upon other churches that came and went. But what is continually there? The presence of the Eucharist. The structures have changed. The structures have changed. In fact, they built upon them. And only because they did a dig did they find out that there were, guess what? There were other churches under that. Right? So it's very probable that a thousand years ago, there'll be another cathedral on top of yours. (laughs) Imagine. Imagine. Imagine that capital project. <laughs> but that's kind of what happened. One on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. Just stacked. Stacked. But what has been the constant, though, has been the real presence. So it's so powerful and grace-filled for you to begin this Initiative that you have embarked recognizing out what is fundamental to you. And that is the Eucharist. And the Eucharist will guide you. The Eucharist will strengthen you. The Eucharist at times will challenge you. Sometimes the Eucharist will push you from the back. Sometimes it will pull you from the front. But the Eucharist will be your strength. And whatever the Lord wants to unfold for you, what what the Lord asks you and I is to be docile, right? To be open to the to His Spirit, to be open to the grace that comes forth from His real presence, and to be humble about it. To be humble have a certain humility because there is a something humble about recognizing what I said right from the beginning that we come and go not that we're not important but we do come and go and the only one that came and never left was him he's the only one that came and never left this F, this gift of the eucharistic real presence the oh, st john paul ii says the saving efficacy of sacrifice is fully realized when the lord's body and blood are received then in communion so the eucharist this real presence is is to be real food. And it's saving efficacy. He says it's power, it's unleashed in us, not just when we look at him, but when we actually receive him. When we enter into communion with him. He says the Eucharistic sacrifice is intrinsically directed to the inward union of the faithful with Christ. So it is is there to unite us individually and as church to him, to enter into that common union, that mystical union. No closer can we be on the planet to the Lord than when we receive him, when he enters our body and he becomes us. It's those words from from the Gospel of John, right, that we've been reflecting upon in the last few Sundays. I am the bread of life. Those who receive me live in me and I in them. He lives in me and I in him through this common union bond that we form in the real presence. He says, we receive the very one who offered himself for us. We receive his body, which he gave up for us on the cross, and the blood which he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. How incredibly blessed we are. How rich we are. And yes, at times, um, we take it for granted COVID gave us a little bit of a reminder, didn't it, right? A little bit. When all of a sudden, because of the common good, participation in the altar and and at the altar and entering into that communion wasn't happening. All over the world, all over this country. I was installed the Archbishop of Philadelphia. And within three weeks, I have to stop the celebration of mass. How counterintuitive is that? You know, I'm I'm supposed to tell people go to church, and now I'm telling them, stay home. <laughs> Don't come. Watch it on, on live stream. Live stream serve the purpose, but we know right that nothing compares to being there. Nothing. Yeah, people had Thanksgiving dinner online. I don't know how you do that, <laughs> but <laughs> on Zoom they had a Zoom Thanksgiving. Trust me, I tried, but I couldn't get to the turkey. It's like <laughs> I couldn't. Get, I couldn't even smell it. Yeah, nothing compares to being there. And we have to start inviting a certain segment of our brothers and sisters who kind of liked it like I have have family and friends who said oh this is really great (laughs) here I am I'm on my easy chair with a cup of coffee watching you say mass nothing compares to being there I said to them good let me take your cup of coffee and put it on my side and let me see if you taste it nothing compares to being there So we have a lot to be grateful for, a lot to be thankful for, but it's good. It is good to just take a breather and reflect and think deep within our hearts what real presence really is. God bless you.